Now here's the voice of North Florida lacrosse, Ray Carnicelli. Welcome to another edition of Cradle to the Grave with Kerwick and Carnicelli. I am Ray Carnicelli, joined by Coach Matt Kerwick. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing great today, Ray. Good to be on with you again, as always. Looking forward to a great show. Well, I think we are going to have a great show. We have a great guest, uh, Matt Palum. You know, you and I remember him as the you know, one of the greatest college lacrosse goalies of all time. The younger generation knows him as that... Uh, vocal commanding referee out there on the field so i'm looking forward to talking to matt palum yeah he's he's such a good man you know i've known him for a long time unfortunately I had to play against him you know my, my senior year was 1990 right with with uh arguably the greatest team to ever suit up was that 90 syracuse team and and he was the goalie that year so i had to chase him around and in the carrier dome and and i remember whacking him on the elbow once as he was flying by me with his uh with football pants on, Ray. You, you remember the football pants? Now, who started that trend? Was it him or you? I thought it was him for a, lot, a long, long time. But yeah. you're telling me otherwise. A lot Is that of people. A lot of people say it's him. I've been teased about it. Um, I was wearing them in high school. That's all I'll have to say. We, he and I are the exact same age. Uh, grew up in the same part of the world. Um, yeah. So whoever actually, I don't know if he wore them in high school, but I, I can attest to the fact that probably eighty four, eighty five, eighty six. I was known to wear the football pants with no pads in the thighs either. So let's not go there. I was going to say, I thought you probably wore them because you wanted extra padding, but you just, you just like the feel of them and the look of them. Well, I will why, tell you I'll, why the football pants. Okay, I, tell me why. I will tell you why. Cause I, I hated wearing the big baggy sweatpants. Um, the cup technology, the protective cup technology back then wasn't what it is today. And the football pants were designed for a cup and it held the cup in place pretty well. So maybe a little too much information. Um, and you know, if you're flopping around down on your knees on that icy, muddy, um, they did go down right to my knees as well. So there, there you have that's, it. That's outstanding. Yeah, it was, it was, it was for efficiency. It was for protection, right? Yeah. Safety and they, never takes they, a day they, off. They look pretty in good too. World, safety never takes a day off. Right? Well, all so. the right moves had just come out with Tom Cruise. And so they were kind of stylish <laughs> back then with the, uh, half shirt as well. So, so I, yeah. I could see you, I could see you wearing those in the house, sliding across your living room floor. That's risky business. To, you got, you're getting what's your, all, what, oh yeah, that was old, risky business. Old time rock and roll. That. Old-time rock and roll. <laughs> that's, that's right. So that's looking right. forward to talking to Matt Palum. I, I think what you're trying to do is avoid talking about the Chrome offense in the first half last week. So we're going to talk about that a little bit in PLL talk <laughs> in the last section. We're, segment. We'll be fine, Ray. We'll be fine. We're not a happy group right now, that's for sure. You get another chance soon enough. But uh, I did want to talk a little bit about the, the coaching carousel. Um, it's been a little bit of a quiet year, almost a quiet two years um, you know, you think of the, the COVID year, uh, um, there weren't as many changes, uh, you know, a lot of, weren't a lot of moves. Um, 
And this year, you know, sure. you, you've got, uh, let's see, uh, Lehigh had a change, Queens had a change, obviously Tyranny at Denver left, and then uh, Mount St. Mary. So I did want to talk a little bit about the head coaching changes. And, you know, the, the assistants are, the assistant talk is almost as um, intriguing as the head coaching changes. So let's just talk about uh, Denver first with Coach Tierney. Sure. To think that he was, um, he was at Princeton um, we played against, and we actually beat Princeton way back when, right before they turned the corner and became dominant. So you think Tyranny's out? How do you think Matt Brown's going to do at Denver? Well, he's been he's been groomed for this position for a long time. Matt's a tremendous coach. He's a he's an offensive wizard. He uh, he's coached the Canadian national team for a number of years now, uh, either as a, a hat or an assistant. Maybe with the U19, he's a hat, and he's he's just a phenomenal guy, phenomenal coach. He's been under Coach Tierney there for a long time, and you know it's 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 been set up for for Matt, and he's he's really built the offense there and, and kind of changed Coach Tierney's thinking on on you know the the type of offense you want to run when you bring in those Canadian guys that he's always had in Denver. So he, he's going to do a fantastic job. He's he's just dialed in. He's been there for a long time. He knows the system out there, and it's proven to win. So he'll, he'll be that'll be seamless. You know, obviously, Coach Tierney's one of the greatest of all time, so so it'll be it'll be a change. But I'm sure he'll Matt will do a great job. And then the other jobs, you know, it happens every summer, right? It, it's it's uh, these days, you know, if you're not being successful, it, you know, it's not just about graduating your your players and and helping these young men become, you know, great fathers and and find jobs and and you know, be loyal to. To the university they graduate from it's much more than that these days right it's it's about winning and losing and that's that's part of it that's part of the growth of the sport so you're going to see more changes every summer and it just happens Kevin Cassis going to Virginia was a bit of a surprise he's really built an amazing program at Lehigh but I get it you know you're going to Charlottesville you're going to one of the greatest programs these head assistant positions now are, are paying very well so you know it used to be you know, you'd be an assistant for a while, and then you'd have to kind of make your move to a head coaching job just for your family's well well being, right? And and to make enough money to provide. So it, it's a big change. So Kevin leaving to Will Scudder Virginia, takes over there. Door there. Yep, Will Scudder. Yeah, yeah, takes that, over. that's right. His assistant Scudder, right? Yeah, and I, I don't know a lot about him, but I'm sure he's great. And there's some great young coaches. So we'll see what happens to Mount. I'm, I'm, you know, Tom Gravanti's a great one, and I'm um, sorry to see him leave and. And he's been there a long time, so we'll see what happens at the Mount and uh, a couple others. But it's just part of the deal now, Ray. Right? You've seen it. You you've been around the game. Well, you know, what are your thoughts on on the changes that happened these summers? Cassis uh, had been there a long time, and as you said, Charlottesville is a special place and a program like that. That you know, looking back on it, and and you know this better than anybody. You've lived it. Um, you don't know what what the personal aspects are too. I mean. You left Jacksonville to go to, to Georgetown, and you know on the outside, people who don't know your relationship with Coach Urich at the time probably wouldn't understand that. But once you do understand that, there was a big personal draw to to make that move. And so I don't know Cassis's situation, um, but he's a smart guy, and he's going to do what's what's best for his uh, friends and family. I mean, for yeah, for his right. for his family predominantly, um, and obviously there was the change at Queens with uh, Colpitts taking over. I think that one was a little bit of a shocker, just because um, Nick Colpitts has been an assistant, uh, but I don't know, you know, 
the pedigree to go jump right into a Division One head coaching job like that. He'd spent some time here in Jacksonville on Coach Galloway's staff, and I actually talked to a current Queens player last week, and uh, they were he, this person was very excited to have Coach Culpitz. He knows the the current situation there. He knows the lay of the land, so he's not going to have the learning curve in terms of. Um, you know, knowing the players and the culture, but the question will be, can can you recruit to a new program like that? So he'll be put to the test. But uh, so you mentioned uh, Mount Open. I think that's the only open job right now. Yeah, I've heard a couple rumors out there, and I don't want to speak to that about who might be taking over there. Um, we'll see how that plays out. You know, it's a tough it's a tough sell. You know, Division One lacrosse is 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 so challenging to be a head coach these days because there's so many good players and so many good programs and the coaching is outstanding. It's hard to win, you know, so the, the support that is in place is extremely important, right? So Queens is a newer program. I'm not sure, you know, what's the support there. Hopefully they're, they're giving him everything he needs to, to be successful. And, and then you just got to work your tail off. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll see if that happens at, at the Mount with, with the new guy, are they going to, support it more than they have because i know it's been you know it's not a fully funded program they're not given 12.6 scholarships i I don't believe and it's it's hard to succeed against these great coaches and great programs all all around you yeah um, and when you don't have a lot to 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 offer right and then you have obviously petromala going to north carolina metzenbauer going to to denver the the petro thing People are acting like it's some big surprise. I mean, his kids are at North Carolina. I'm not surprised at all. When he went to Syracuse, I didn't feel like that was a long-term thing, and I don't know his conversations with Coach Gary Gate, but uh, you know, I think um, anyone with any sense would realize that if a, a great opportunity came up that you know he had no ties to Syracuse. So were, were you surprised at all? I was a little bit surprised. You know, I, I could see, like you said, I, of course it wasn't a long-term thing, but you know, I'm sure David was was Coach Petro was kind of waiting for the right head position to open at a at a great program because obviously he he's earned that that right. Um, you know, so to to make the move from kind of a similar situation to a to a situation that that was almost uh, you know equal to that at, at Carolina, they're both programs that are obviously historically two of the best in you know to ever play the game right you know and they're both been struggling a little bit but they're still outstanding i mean they they're playing the hardest schedule as you can imagine right so, yeah and uh, you, you know, know what, what... It, it's kind of it's kind of a, a lateral move to me but but again like you said the key element there is his two sons are there right, right. that's huge right yeah. i mean you get a chance to coach your sons and be around your family um it's it makes it a pretty obvious choice and you know uh, the opening at Syracuse, the rumor mill's kind of insane. Joe Amplo, his uh, his response to one of the tweets was classic. Just basically put the big sledgehammer to it, like you're out of your mind. Was basically his uh, his response. And then you see Coach Galloway's name on there, and I think he's he's uh, swatted that one away. Um, I I was actually speaking with Coach Galloway when that news was coming out, and his name was in there. And there's no way I would ask him. It's such a personal decision. I'm not interested in breaking any news. I'm a I'm a fan and supporter of Jacksonville. I want him here for a long, long time. Uh, but that's a personal decision that uh, if it were were to happen, or if he were to head to to Duke someday, then you know I know he's doing it for the best. This isn't this isn't life or death. Yeah, it, and it's hard, right? You know, I you remember when I when I left Jacksonville, leaving you and, and some of the great relationships that I was, I was fortunate enough to, to form there. It was hard to leave, 
you know, and sometimes you can second guess, you know, is the grass always greener? So you really have to think this, this through and you want to, it's always about family first, you know, for all these guys, you know, but, but then you have to look at, you know, what, what's this opportunity going to lead for me down the road? Is sure. it, is this a better spot for me? And those are tough calls, Ray. You, you know, you've, you've been a lucky man. You work for the same company since you moved to Jacksonville and you're a rarity these days, man. You're old school. Yeah. So I think I'm on 30, a lot. 32 or three, 33 years with the, with the same company. Um, so I, I have been fortunate, but it's been kind of by choice. I, I love it here in uh, Ponte Vedra beach. So there's worse places to be. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, I'm going to go ahead and uh, bring on, Matt Palum, and we'll talk to him, and then we'll come back and uh, wrap it up with a little PLL update. The younger crowd knows him as the omnipresent referee from the PLL and the NCAA. The old guys like me remember him as a three-time national champion goalie. I'd like to welcome on to Cradle to the Grave, Matt Palum. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, Matt, you know... um, I was in high school in uh, Section 3 up in Onondaga County uh, League in 1986, graduated from Auburn when you were at Janesville DeWitt, and then I went on to Cortland, and you were at uh, Syracuse. So I remember you as a goalie. I think the younger crowd knows you as the uh, omnipresent referee. Um, (laughs) Throughout your career, was initially getting into, you know, staying in refereeing a way to stay in the game without getting beat up? You know, my referee story is a little bit funny in that um, it all started. I was a freshman at Syracuse in uh, in the fall. Excuse me, a sophomore, fall of '87. So I'm I'm 19 years old, and my grandfather gives me a, a 1973 Dodge Dart to to drive around, and I grew up. You know, blue collar in, in upstate New York. My dad was a teacher and a, and a football coach at West Tennessee. My mother was the school nurse at Nottingham. So, you know, we were normal people. And uh, I was having trouble keeping gas in my in my 73 Dodge Dart. And my dad, again, who was a teacher and a football coach, in the winter he refed high school basketball. So he's the one that kind of encouraged me. He was tired of, of peeling $20 bills out to – you know, to help me put gas in the car. So he got me into roughing basketball, which is ironically the only sport I never played um, when I was, you know, the fall of my sophomore year at SU in 1987 when I was 19 years old. And that's how the refereeing thing got started. It actually started with basketball while I was in college, which I did for, and I fell in love with it. I, I liked it right away. And, you know, now by the time I'm a senior at SU, I'm doing high school games and my buddies are coming out and heckling me from the stands and having a good old time. So, um, yeah, so I did about three or four years of basketball before I ever reffed a lacrosse game. I started, you know, by the time I graduated, I, I was fully entrenched in basketball. I said, shit, I might as well, might as well, you know, go do some lacrosse. And that's how the whole thing got started. And I've been going ever since with both sports, now over 30 years and uh which includes some division one basketball and uh you know obviously college and pro lacrosse so i've i've taken it to the point where now i'm a full-time ref so that's it's been kind of a fun journey do you do you have a feel for guesstimate or do you know how many games you did last year between basketball and lacrosse 
Yeah, I would think probably in the in the 120, 125 range between that. That would probably be everything from Division three basketball and uh, lacrosse through the pro league. You know, through Division one, through the pro league, and and you know, a handful of high school games in both sports. So, yeah, I would think probably 125 games a year, somewhere in there. That's great. You know, just to go back, uh, around that same time period in high school, I was driving a 1972 Dodge Dart that I smashed coming back <laughs> from uh, from Song Mountain in, in Tully. So that's uh, yeah. got that in common, too, the old Dodge Dart. It was, uh, it was a fun car. They, they were gas guzzlers, weren't they? Yeah, 72 <laughs> Dodge Dart in 1984 and 85. So it had, it had some I wear and tear. It. Winner beater. I love it. I love it. All the great ones started with a dart. <laughs> hey, so, Matt, going back, do you remember when you first uh, knew about the sport of lacrosse? Was it always around in your house? No, it wasn't. Ironically, my dad um, was a baseball guy. My dad played baseball at Syracuse, and he was a football-baseball guy, and I played a ton of baseball growing up, a ton of Little League baseball, which I loved and, and uh, you know, was a pretty good player and, and had a great time doing it. Um, I never had a lacrosse stick until about sixth grade, uh, and, and it was one of those things back in those days. Uh, Janesville DeWitt always had a pretty strong lacrosse tradition, and, and, and uh, when we got to middle school, which would be sixth grade, that's kind of when we all started to get exposed to it, you know, with a little intramural sixth grade thing. And it was kind of like that's what all the cool kids were doing. You know, baseball had that that reputation of standing around and, uh, you know, slow moving and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, just kind of I think through <laughs> – I would say peer influence and just kind of the cool trend of what was going on. We all, you know, my whole little group of friends just sort of jumped on the lacrosse thing and and started going. And I was, I grew up a hockey player as well. And I was already playing goalie in hockey. So sixth grade lacrosse, Hey, I'll take that big stick and go jump in the goal. So I kind of jumped right in right away because of my hockey background. You camps were a big thing back then, and it was it was almost as social as it was about lacrosse going going to camps. Uh, did you go to Absolutely. any camps? Yeah, that was the other thing that really kind of got the fire started <laughs> around here. Um, you know, the, the, there weren't eight million camps and tournaments, and there were no club teams and all that stuff like there is today. So it was a very different. You know, usually kids in those days went to, you know, maybe one one little week of camp and yep. and maybe played a couple little summer league games, and that was about it. So I went to the All-American Lacrosse Camp, which Walt Munsey, uh, who's uh, ironically one of my officiating mentors. Yeah, I've seen him down here um, uh, in the booth at the J- JU games, at the Jacksonville University yeah, games, uh, yeah, checking, checking you guys out. Yeah. So where was that yeah, camp? So Walt- uh, it started out at, at Lemoyne College when I was a kid and a camper, and it moved from Lemoyne to Hamilton to Colgate, where it eventually uh, died a natural death. Yep. <laughs> when, you know, nowadays, God forbid anybody goes to a camp and, and learns how to actually play, but, we, you know, everything now is club tournaments and, yeah. and playing games. So Walt was kind of ahead of the curve, and he had sort of the first ever you know, instructional camp where you actually went on Sunday and you stayed till Friday, you know, 
five day camp with with uh, you know three sessions a day and that that whole deal. But that is kind of where I got exposed. And, and Walt did a great job because he was a ref, and it, and the camp wasn't affiliated with anybody's you know school. You know he held it at Lemoyne, but back then Lemoyne didn't even play lacrosse. Sure. So Walt did a great job of. And the connections, he had a lot of connections with his officiating. But, for example, we'd go to the All-American camp, and, and the staff would be Richie Moran from Cornell, Dave Yurick from Hobart, Jack Emmer from Army. Um, you know, Scott Nelson was, a, was a, a very successful D3 guy at Nazareth at the time. He would be there. Um, <laughs> Scott Anderson from Harvard. So it was you know, back in those days, and and those guys, you know, weren't making a, the, the types of salaries they're making today. So th- those guys were looking for summer income. And, you know, this is really throwback stuff where, you know, head division one coaches would go to the All-American camp for, for you know, four or five days and actually grind it out and, and do three sessions and, and coach a team and, and do all that stuff. So th- that exposure to those types of personalities and Roy Simmons, my, you know, who was ended up being my coach would come over from Syracuse and be there. So, you know, I kind of was in the, the golden era of, of the whole camp thing where it was, it was a big deal. And, and that's where y- you got some big time exposure to at least, you know, what the big stuff was all about right and and similarly at that time point uh, like i said growing up in the syracuse area hobart had a, had a pretty evolved camp obviously the cornell camp it seemed like hobart had the reputation of being a better goalie camp and then you know cornell is cornell and i went to the syracuse camp where i was basically a target for the for the shooting drills um <laughs> back then and then a few guys would go to navy i think or, or army at the time but it was i mentioned earlier it was more about the relationships a few years ago at at uh, ocean city i was down there playing in an old man tournament and i'm sitting across the pub afterwards and i look across and i say, i know that guy and it ended up being somebody I went to camp with back in the, the early 80s. It was uh, Scott Burnham, who many people on this listen to this podcast will remember. Uh, and it was just That's one of those things guy. where yep. we went back, you know, 25 years in time instantly to the fun we had at camp. Not necessarily was anyone going to try to recruit us there, but, uh, you know, our parents got rid of us for a week and we got to hang out with the boys. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. When, a good old day. When, so back in, in that time frame, you know, I remember going over to uh, Coinfield and um, watching the yeah. Skull Bandits play against the Syracuse club teams in the in the fall. Uh, were you a lacrosse junkie from that early standpoint? Like, were you always trying I, yeah, to get out to the games? Absolutely. Probably from seventh grade on. You know, that sixth grade was really the first year. And then seventh grade, um, I made our freshman team, you know, as a seventh grader. And that was kind of my first, like, Okay, you're 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 on a real team, and and you're playing with guys that are a couple years older, and and that's when I really got both feet into it, you know, big time. And at, and of course, at the time, Syracuse was just starting to turn the corner and become a become a force there in the early '80s. Um, so the whole storm kind of happened all at once, and and my. Uh, you know, my grandmother had worked at the university for, you know, she was the football secretary for a million years. So I, I used to go visit her and I knew coach Simmons a little bit as a little kid. So you, you did some ball boy um, duty there, didn't you? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I was, I was uh, hanging around the locker room, you know, all that kind of stuff as a, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, well, maybe not 10, but more like 12, 13, 14 years old, <laughs> you know, poor Tommy Nims, the goalie up mm. there, God rest his soul, um, was a former football player for my dad. And he was always, you know, very welcoming for me to kind of hang around him and the goalies and, and learn how to string sticks and ask questions. And um, so, yeah, the whole, between the All-American camp and Syracuse, you know, beginning to turn the corner, you know, in, in, in those days, that that's that those are the two main things that hooked me into it. So you, you get you get to Syracuse and you know the, the the gate guys show up around the same time you do and you know yeah. coach coach Simmons had that philosophy where it, it wasn't as uh, as strict as some of the high school coaches in in the Onondaga League at the time and he let the the free flow yeah. you know, out of all those guys you played with is there anyone that you were just in awe of of your teammates when you've got Zelberti in the in the gates and Rodney Dumpson and all these other guys. Yeah, you know, I used to tease people that, you know, practice or game day was like a day off, you know, practice was just, um, and, and also as a goalie, you know, the, the, you know, dealing with those names you just talked about, the Gates and Zalberti, you know, just to start and, and my old high school buddy, Greg Burns and Tommy Marichek and Rodney Dumpson and, you know, on and on and on. Um, so, yeah, the in awe of you know all of it. The, the, you know, I mean, the Gates obviously uh, everyone would agree are, are among the you know top two of you know two or three midfielders that ever lived. And John Zoberti was an unbelievable talent uh, on attack, and and not to mention those other guys that, that I was talking about. But yeah, I, I was in total awe. You know, I think you, you don't realize how special. <laughs> our situation was until it's over, you know, when you leave and you look back and you say, boy, in three years, we lost one game and won three national titles and, and all the luck and everything that's involved with having that type of success and, and, and just good times, you know, in college, I, I talk to kids about that all the time about how many things that have to go right between being in good health and having a little luck on your side and, and having a good coach and good teammates and the right guys show up. So we had the perfect storm at Syracuse to to have just a great time and great memories. I mean, I started a little bit as a freshman, but but after that started for three straight years, you know, when, I don't know, lost one game, two games, I think, in four years as a starter. Um, so it couldn't have been – could not have been better or luckier or any of that good stuff. Matt, uh, Kerwick and I on this podcast talk about the state of the game quite a bit, and like, I love yeah. the college game right now. I don't know if it's ever been better. Uh, you know, when we were playing early on, we had sideline horns and non—you know—stops and these substitutions. <laughs> I and um, I, I still like the the sticks back then better. I think uh, some of the brutal hits would come yeah. out of the game if the sticks were a little less stretchy and baggy. Um, but agree. The the game right now, especially this last college season, the faceoffs were good. Uh, the transition yeah. was good. The shot clock's near perfect. A lot of the pressure's off yep. you guys. Tell me, yeah. let's just focus on the college game for a second. How would you rate it? I agree with you 100%. I think we have, 
you know, the college game, the, the, you know, the inside scoop, it gets criticized a little bit because we change, we change, we change, we change, we change. You know, where a lot of people are saying, hey, let the rules kind of sink in and 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 let's, uh, you know, oh, no, that rule was from a year ago. Oh, no, two years ago we were letting them do X, Y, Z or, you know, whatever that might be. So I think that it is in a great spot right now, and I hope the changes moving forward are minimal. Um, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not shy to talk about it. You know, what happened to me this year in the Final Four and my crew with, you know, missing a tough play in overtime, which is an ex- absolute heartbreaking experience for, you know, not only my, me and my crew, uh, but the kids at Penn State and the coaching staff and the alumni and the fans and um, – you know, that, that is a, a situation that will sit with me forever. Um, but I also understand that I do a job that though that's, that kind of goes with the territory. And, uh, um, you know, I, I say to people, I've been doing this, you know, I've refereed in, I don't know, 20 or 21 final fours. And I've had a lot of success and, and I've gotten a lot of crease calls correct. And this was one, one that we couldn't see. Uh, and that is just heartbreaking to drive away from a venue, you know, knowing that there was a mistake made or, or just an omission. You know, again, I, 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 I hold steady that my crew and I, we didn't do anything wrong, but we just, you know, you just can, you can't, that's why every sport in the world has replay because these plays are so fast and so hard to, uh, to officiate that I'm glad that, uh, the big rule change this year was, was to get to the replay and be able to, you know, not ever have to send a crew of referees home or, or a team home uh, feeling the way we had to feel on Memorial Day weekend. Will, that, um, will, so the, will the replay just yeah. be in the playoffs? No, it's going to be all year. Just Division One. It's going to be all uh, it's going to be whoever has has the appropriate equipment. So if you go to Cortland State for a game and they have the equipment to use replay, we can use it. Okay. If they don't, they they don't. So um, yeah. And, and as far as replay, you know, I I think you stay away from out of bounds calls and and that type of stuff. And in lacrosse, I think it's pretty simple. We we deal with scoring plays, whether yes. it's a buzzer beater whether it's a hundred mile an hour shot that hit something hard near the goal or in the goal, or maybe on the goal line and flew out. Um, you know, you we're supposed to make a decision. Uh, I'll use that for an example. Some of those shots that get ripped a hundred miles an hour, hit a pipe, or maybe did they hit the inside pipe or where did they hit? And they come ricocheting out and we are supposed to get one good crack, you know, one yeah. good look at it with a na- naked eye. And then, make a definitive call that, yeah, I swear to God that went in, or I swear to God that didn't go in. And that is just not fair to, to us or the kids. Uh, And same with the dive plays, you know, that the the play that that kid, that Lebman kid made, you know, he's got a guy on his back. He's got, you know, there's shadows and feet and stuff all over the place. And, and uh, you know you can only get so close to those plays because you know in basketball you got a, a referee on the baseline who can kind of look up through the guts of the play and get the inside stuff. In lacrosse, the the, the play of the game sort of forces the officials to the outside, so you know we cannot get in the guts of the field and, and see everything in there. And, and that's basically what happened. We we you know we got 
gutted by the perfect storm of just having a play that we just could not get a look at. Again, if it happened tomorrow, we'd miss it tomorrow just yes. because we can't, we just couldn't be there. And, and the far side guy, uh, the guy who was across from me who might have had a look at the at, at, at the shooter's toes, he had a guy run right in front of him just as that play developed, and that's that's just bad luck. That, that it's not bad officiating, or he wasn't in the right spot, or I wasn't in the right spot. We we, we are the victim victims of of bad luck, and well, hopefully moving forward moving forward, nobody else has to go through that again. Matt, I think the majority of the the people who've been in this game a long time and been around the game the coach Tambronis of the world, they they get it. They know, they've played, yeah. they've seen it happen before. They're not looking for perfection. They're not perfect. The players aren't perfect. So, um, you know, in the yep. switching over to the to the PLL, and I've seen you uh, jump over tables and chairs to get to that replay uh, <laughs> tablet. Yeah. Um, do you get, I, I believe you're consulting on the rules in the PLL. What about the NCAA? Have you been involved in the discussions around the rules or potential changes? Now, it's funny you bring that up because I am involved in the PLL, um, and we have a very, you know, things that get done, what I've learned in my in my 30s-whatever years, that things that get done by committee tend to take a longer time and are harder to move. So the NCAA committee is a bigger group that's made up of mostly coaches um, and whoever happens to be the president of our organization sits in on those conversations, um, but NCAA rules usually move slower uh, because of the committee process. In the PLL, we have a much smaller group. It's, you know, myself, Seth Tierney, Paul Rabel would probably be the guts of the rules committee. And very often the three of us might get on the phone and, and talk about something and make a change, and that's it. And, again, it's easier to do that when you don't have – you know, a dozen opinions floating sure. around the room and, okay, let's reconvene and meet and talk about it again. And, and uh, so, yeah, I have had, uh, I've had a lot of fun kind of having my fingerprints on some of the rules in the PLL, which I think are, are, are really cool uh, versus the college game. is just tend of, it's sort of the, you know, one of the characteristics of the NCAA, it's a big group. It's a, it's a big process. Everything they do, and I don't mean this negatively uh, all the time, but everything they do has a process, sure. right, and, and a series of meetings and, you know, that whole type of deal. So it's more, so of, no, a, an ev fair. it's more of an evolutionary process, and it just takes time. Um, I vote to expand that 32-second clock a little bit, but that's just my two cents as, as a fan. Yeah, you know, it's... <laughs> People, it's funny when you talk PLL. People are all over the board with the 32 second thing. You know, I think, I think the the um, the original goal of it from from you know, this is kind of a Paul uh, Paul Rabel thing. The original goal was let's let's have a fast moving play out of the face off, meaning win the face off. And now you're subbing and the Fogo has to do his thing and then get off and then you get on. So I think the whole idea was trying kind of get the thing moving. And um, I think at first, uh, you know, and, and what you find with these guys, they're so talented, you know, when you change a rule at first, sometimes they might struggle with it for, you know, a week or two or a couple of games. And now that we've had it for 
four, three, four, five weeks, you're starting to notice teams get better at it, handling that short 32 a little better and being able to get to the goal. And, and it's also interesting to see what the defensive people are doing to push out and pressure the, the FOGO so he doesn't, you know, you know, they chase the FOGO around for 20 seconds and now all of a sudden there's only 12 seconds left on the, right. on the, on the shot clock to get something done. So, yeah, you know that that, that I think it, the the jury is still out a little bit on the thirty two off the face off, and uh, what we're trying to accomplish with it, and 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 also keep the quality of the game at a level that everybody likes to see. Well, Matt, we're, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. I just want to say one of the things I, I I love on the games that you're on, especially when you're mic'd up, is it's the command. Any referee, I go to a lot of high school games. Obviously, I call the Jacksonville University games. When a referee has command, it stops a lot of the discussion. You could be you could be wrong or on the borderline in a in a um, commanding way, and you know things move on. So I, I do appreciate your knowledge, uh, the physical toll it takes. I can imagine the travel can't be fun, but whenever uh, you're on a game, uh, I, I know speak for a lot of fellow fans. We we in, enjoy it, and the refs are great. Like I, I go to a lot of games, high school games down here, the college games. I watch a lot of games. The refereeing right now has, has never been better. Obviously, we know there's a shortage, especially here in Florida in the high school level. But um, you know, I know we were supposed to play golf with Kerwick. Uh, a short time ago, and you got stuck in that Central Florida traffic. But I, I hope we can yes. catch up soon, either back down there or up here at a Jacksonville game. Yeah, oh, that sounds lovely. I would, I, I, I never say no to golf. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for um, taking the time on Cradle to the Grave today. And uh, once again, uh, hope we catch up soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That was Matt. Um, that was Matt Palum, referee, former player, three-time national champion on Cradle to the Grave. I am so thankful to have had Matt Palum join us on Cradle to the Grave. So, Matt, you know, we're, we're all the same age, me, you, and, and Matt Palum. I, rem, I remember him in high school. You know, you look at the uh, stat leaders, the post-standard used to post the stat leaders, so all the goalies would look at the number of saves and the save percentage. I focused on the number of saves because we took a lot of shots at, at Auburn, not necessarily the save <laughs> percentage. That was for the other guys. Uh, but I, I remember trying out for the Empire State games, and, you know, he's there. Oh, good luck. You know, I... I knew he was a ball boy at Syracuse because when we were in high school and before that, because we used to say, well, that's why he made the Empire State games and, and he's taller. So <laughs> yeah. Had nothing to do with his amazing skills and poise and athleticism. But uh, he is just a just a great ambassador for the game. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, how good how good was that, right? He, he's the best. Uh, you know, Maddie and I have become very close after college and get to swing the golf club a little bit here or there and, and, you know, Lake Placid and all the different stuff over the years that we've spent time together, but he, he's the man. I mean, he, he's, he's committed his life to this and, and uh, he's, he's just a, an amazing official to see him come up through the ranks. And that's, it, it's what he does now, Ray, right? He, he's a basketball official during the winter. He does some high level basketball, college basketball. And yeah, he, and he, he said 120 that. games he estimated last year between, he did some D one basketball yeah, right. and um, obviously other college basketball on top of all the professional and college lacrosse. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible, you know, that, and that's why he's so skinny. He's running up and down <laughs> basketball courts and, and lacrosse fields all, yeah. all year, but he, uh, he, he's fully committed to it. He's, he's a great um, professional, 
he, he cares so much about it. You know, you, you hear him talk about the Penn State situation, and you could just see. It. You know, next time I saw him, he 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 it wore it wore heavily on him. You know, he 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 gives everything he can every game, right? And that's all you can ask of a player. That's all you can ask of a coach. And certainly, you know, to see an official do that game in and game out, it's it's really impressive. And yeah, right. I think he only beat you out for the the you know, the empires because he was taller than you. Yeah, it that's wasn't I, that he was right. uh, just a phenomenal athlete in the goal. But, you know, you're a pretty good athlete too, but well, he's a taller one. So that's yeah. why. But, you know, you you got you to gotta just, you got to move past that. Us short guys like have to stick together, it. Matt. Maybe that's why you and I yeah. get along. So, Small men unite. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll be quick here in this last segment. Um, I know you're, you'll be headed to Connecticut this weekend with the PLL. The yep. Chrome fell to the Water Dogs 10 to 7. Uh, the Cannons over the Atlas 19 to 12. The Redwoods 13 to 8 over the Chaos. And the Archers on top of the, the Whip Snakes. So you spent some time in Skinny Atlas. So I think you'll be dressed properly when you cross into Connecticut. You know, they have that sign there too that says, Welcome to Connecticut. Proper dress required. So, uh, <laughs> so just briefly, Matt, um, you guys struggled with the turnovers. Uh, offensive efficiency wasn't great, and that 32 second shot clock just—you uh, guys just didn't have a lot of time to really run an offense. Yeah, it, you know, obviously we we played a half, right? Our first half, and and honestly, we felt a little better about our offense than we have, but we didn't throw the thing in the back of the net. You got to give credit where credit to their goalie was fantastic. Oh Dylan Ward. I, he was, geez. he was awesome. So he good. was awesome. I don't care what you say about him. He was phenomenally kicking, you know, kick saves left and right, but that's on us, right? We got to put the ball in that, you know, our first few looks were really good ones and, and we did not, did not throw it in the back of the goal. So it's on us and we're certainly not a happy bunch. So, you know, we're, we're going to have to be more efficient. We're going to have to handle the ball better. We're going to have to throw it in the back of the cage and, and, and just uh, keep improving because this league is wide open and, and, you know, it's starting to get to mid-season here where we, we're going to need to well, turn the tide. So it's on us for sure, and we're going we're gonna to go give our best in, in Fairfield this weekend. Well, the, the, games are, uh, the games are Friday and Saturday this week, uh, so everyone watching on those ESPN platforms. So, Matt, while we wrap it up, I, I did jump in the cage last week. Uh, with We had probably nice. 40 to 50 guys out there. I think there were 10 D1 players, guys like Max Waldbaum was out there, Dylan Hass. We had two D1 goalies um, in action and uh, Jeremy Winston and all these guys. And, and then you have the guys, um, you know, my peers up to uh, into their young 60s um, just out there playing. So I, I did see some live fire this week, uh, slowly getting closer to being placid ready. Yes. I, I, I'm working on it, Ray. That's all I can tell you. I'm, I haven't played lacrosse in a long time so well maybe you should goes, do you warm up do you warm up the goalies at least get the stick in your hand a little I, bit i do i okay. do i i take that counts. 18 shots on both of our goalies so <laughs> that counts so you know, matt 36 shots total a week um album of the week uh you and i have been friends for, we've been friends since 2010 uh but we don't have yep. we've got some things in common but there's some other things we just are not on the same page and um yeah, go ahead, well, go ahead with the album you know, of the week. I, I, well, let, let's let's be honest, right? You're, you're you're a hair band guy. You know, you're probably a Motley Crue no, kind of guy. No, um, you know, or like you know, Hall and Oates. So you know, I'm going to go a little bit in between that. One of the greatest albums of our time, right? This is 1991 when this band really came out, and the best albums 
definitely a rock album and a great one to start to fit. Even flow, you got Jeremy, you have Black, you have Why Go. What is it? Um, it, it it's Pearl Jam 10. Okay, Let's play it out, Ray. So when I'll you sent next week, when brother. you when you sent that to me, I looked it up. I didn't know one song on it, but um, how's that possible? Where were you? It's I mean, I, it's the '90s. I right? was in Florida. Grow up. I was I was in Florida. Grow up. All right, Matt. Well, it's good talking to you, and best of luck to the Chrome and to our listeners. Check out the PLL action, and we'll be back next week on Cradle to the Grave with Kerwick and Carnicelli. Why do I eat like snakes